The Influencer's Edge is brought to you by the Invisible Influence Series. If you're ready to massively increase your sales by leveraging the power of subconscious persuasion, then make sure you text the word COMPEL to 411-321. That's COMPEL to 411-321. And if you're outside of the United States, then use WhatsApp and text the word COMPEL to 1-909-741-1321. Make sure you put in your best email address because that's how we'll deliver the goodies. Welcome to the Influencer's Edge. This is the place where you come to get the latest breakthroughs, cutting-edge insights, tools, and techniques to leapfrog over the pack in sales, persuasion, and influence. Be sure you visit our website at www.theinfluencersedge.com. And while you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now sit back, tune in, and enjoy today's episode. All right, I'm excited because our guest, once again, is absolutely fantastic. He has a very amazing background. I'm just going to read his biography. We have Dr. Steve Taubman with us today. Steve, I will say, is a personal friend of mine and has a brilliant intellect and an amazing heart. And who's this behind you, Steve? We've got Ernie here as my bodyguard. Should it get a little over over the top or ugly, he's going to take care of us. Uh, Ernie looks pretty ferocious to me. So yeah, let's he's pretty read scary. your biography. <laughs> so our guest today has an eclectic and unusual background. That's certainly true. Hmm. After 14, eclectic, some people would say means weird. I think it just means different and open-minded and really open to the experiences of life. After 14 years running one of the nation's top chiropractic clinics, hmm, he is a corporate entertainer. He went on to write a best-selling book called Unhypnosis. We're going to unpack that. And a series of other critically acclaimed, uh, critically acclaimed, Books. What does that say? I can't. A critically acclaimed what? <laughs> Periodicals. He now travels the globe sharing insights and yada, 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 yada. He's hypnotized over 30,000 people. Screw all that. Yeah. Uh, let's good. just dive. Let's just dive deep in. Okay. I love that idea. Deep, yeah. deep, deep in the trance. And one of the most interesting things I think about Steve, tell us a little bit more about this, is you're not only a master hypnotist but you're also into mindfulness. You're a pretty accomplished meditator. Let's talk about the first piece, which is the hypnotism. Becoming a hypnotist, and everyone asks, how did you get into it? So you can tell us that. But I'm really more interested in hearing the answer to the question, how have you stayed passionate about it after all these years? You've been doing it a long time, for decades. So let's tackle the the blah 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 question first because the audience needs to hear it and then dive into how you stay passionate about it and even what the hell is hypnosis yeah okay well getting into it we'll yeah we'll we'll start with that and make it quick uh i was fascinated by hypnosis i'd seen it done on stages and i understood that it was a fascinating uh and somewhat controversial topic those are the ones that usually attract me hold on one second steve yeah. hold on hold on tracy we're gonna pause <laughs> 
Okay, Tracy, we need to start over. I screwed up uh, my microphones. Can you hear me, Steve? Yeah, I hear you fine. All right. So I am excited. Our guest today is a personal friend of mine, Dr. Steve Taubman. Steve has so much going on. He has a very eclectic background. So let's see. I'm gonna just going to read it because it's too much for me to remember. Steve has spent 14 years running one of the nation's top chiropractic clinics. Very interesting. And he is a corporate entertainer or has been. He went on to write a best-selling book called Unhypnosis. We need to talk about that. And he now travels the globe sharing insights and wisdom about how to live an inspired life while entertaining groups with his mind-blowing mind-reading shows. To date, Dr. Steve has hypnotized over 30,000 people. His fans include sports figures, business leaders, and he's been seen on national television, has been featured in major magazines, has shared the stage with top business speakers like Zig Ziglar. He's here today to share insights into whatever it is we can pick your brain about. We don't go into formal biographies. Let's dive in. I'm going to call you Steve instead of Dr. Steve Taubman yeah, because I know you. you. Yeah. We're personal friends. So let's talk, first of all, you're a hypnotist. What the hell is hypnosis? Is it just the power of suggestion or is there really such a thing as a hypnotic state? Then we'll talk about how it applies to influence and persuasion. Excellent. Okay. So yes and yes, it is a real thing and it is about the power of suggestion and it really has to do with mind states or mental states of consciousness. When the mind reaches a place of, uh, of greater quiet, uh, we become more receptive, we open to possibilities, we open to things beyond what we already preconceivedly believe, and we can learn more effectively. So hypnosis is an accelerated learning tool uh, that we can use in a lot of different ways, whether it's for fun or it's for uh, improving our, our state of mind or changing a bad belief. It's, it's all there for us. Let's talk a little bit about changing bad beliefs or less than optimal beliefs or negative beliefs, because I know many of the people listening are entrepreneurs, salespeople, and business people, and they really, even the best of them have what I call imposter syndrome, yes. where they believe they don't deserve it, or they believe that they're a fraud, or they believe that they're faking it. So how do you go about taking a belief like that? How would you use hypnosis to change a limiting belief like that? A belief like that is beautifully dealt with with a combination of hypnosis, NLP, and mindfulness. All three of these tools, which all interact with each other in certain ways, all have an impact on what we do with a belief like that. It's a very common belief. And, you know, ultimately what I try to do is to have people step out of or back from the inner workings of their mind. So they could be the observer of it rather than the victim of it. And so as a hypnotist, one of the ways we do that is to get that mind nice and quiet and receptive to new ideas. Um, but the reason I wrote my book and I called it unhypnosis was because most of us are already walking around hypnotized. What does that mean? I, I don't see people like this. You go to hypnosis <laughs> shows and you're really good at it. I've seen you do a fantastic stage hypnosis show. People aren't going around like this. Their eyes aren't closed. They're not singing like opera singers or dancing like chickens. So what the hell do you mean by right, people walking question. around hypnotized anyway? So there's two different 
elements to hypnosis. One is the state of mind, that kind of a trance-like state that you just described. And that's a state you don't see people in overtly. But then there's also the part that has to do with how attached we are to our beliefs. When I hypnotize somebody and I tell them that they're stuck to their chair, they are without a doubt stuck to their chair because if that's what they believe, that's what they're happens. not. They're not faking it. They're not, they're not faking, faking it or play acting. No, one hundred percent not. One hundred percent. The belief. The belief is implanted by the, by being in a certain state of mind. And once you come out of that state of mind, that is, once you're not in a loopy, trancey, sleep like state, if that belief was deeply enough implanted, it can stick around for a good long time. And that's what I mean about us all being hypnotized. We've all been uh, given uh, beliefs about ourselves and about the world around us that have stuck for a really long time and, and they've limited our ability to do things. And so we just take those as fact. We take those for granted as the axiom upon which we live. So we're walking around and in some ways we are still sort of sleepwalking through life. And, you know, there are examples we all know. You get in your car to drive home and you get there and you remember how you got there. You know, we're checking in and out quite often, and, uh, and there's often nobody around to witness us doing it, but we're doing it. You know, we're not necessarily in a really precise, open state of mind. So what would you say to an entrepreneur, a salesperson, someone like that, yeah. who says, you know, I just don't think I can be as successful as Mr. X or Miss Y. I just can't be as successful as... Joe Rogan or Gary Vaynerchuk or however he pronounces your name, how would you deal with someone who has that profound limiting belief that colors everything that they do, everything they see, they're stuck in comparing themselves to other because others, I know this is a very common thing with the people I work in, even for myself, that curse of comparison. It is, it's, it's detrimental and it's hard uh, to shake and, and it, it becomes step one implanting just enough doubt to raise the possibility that what you're thinking is not true. So wait, this is a very unusual idea yeah. that if you want to form a positive belief about a negative belief, or beyond. you yeah. don't start with certainty, you start with doubt. So if I had, tell me if I'm getting it right. If I was a salesperson, professional influencer, and I had influenced myself to believe I just can't be disciplined. You're not saying do the opposite belief and say, I am disciplined. I am the most disciplined person in the world. I'm so glad you brought that up because that's my pet peeve. Uh, I, I feel that, you know, in the personal development movement, people have over relied on the idea of, of uh, affirmation. I'm good enough. I'm strong enough and doggone it. People like me. Ongoing, regular repeating of positive mantras that are supposed to implant themselves into the subconscious and displace all the negativity. And they often just don't have the power to do that. Because if you think about it like this, it's like there's a part of your mind that is entrenched in a certain belief system. And then another part that's trying to change that part. And so the way the affirmation looks is, you know, if I'm playing both roles, it's like, I'm fantastic, bullshit, <laughs> fantastic, bullshit. And you're, you're at odds with yourself. And of course, what you resist persists. So you never really make a lot of headway. Or if you do, you exhaust yourself in the process. So instead, you look at it from, as I said, from the perspective of doubt. That is, um, is it possible I'm wrong? 
about this firmly held belief? And if it's possible that I'm wrong, what do I need to do to shed the, you know, the layers of certainty, the layers of certainty that this is who I am and this is what I can do and this is what's possible? How do I let that go? This is so counterintuitive to embrace uncertainty as a way of deprogramming yourself. Yeah. And we, uh, we're going to bring this up a little bit later. We are both students and or disciples of, to me, the greatest teacher I've encountered, one of the most brilliant human beings, if not the most brilliant human being I've ever met. Would let, we'll let not say his name yet, but would you agree that that's an accurate description of him? Absolutely, yeah. All right. So this whole idea of actually injecting doubt rather than certainty. This teacher of ours taught that don't know, that uncertainty and having that don't know mindset is one of the most uncomfortable things that human beings can experience. So I want to know if you're working with people as a hypnotist or whatever modality you're using, NLP, you mentioned that, mindfulness, how do you get them to sit still and stay comfortable enough to entertain that discomfort and to entertain this state of doubt. Another, this is amazing to me. I don't think I've yeah. ever heard anyone say a key to changing your beliefs and developing a positive mindset is doubt. This yeah. is a, I love these breakthrough insights. So well, that that, I appreciate you saying that. It, yeah. it, it served me well. It served people I've trained and coached well because uh, it is a counterintuitive and B uh, they've tried it the other way. And they've, they've already recognized the, uh, the limitations of that approach. So how do you get somebody comfortable with being uncomfortable? That's the real question. How do you develop within oneself the ability to just sit and be present to something that's profoundly uncomfortable? And, and I've, got a, I've got a way of describing that, that I, that's really been useful. And it's simply to say, um, get out of your head and into your body. What the... Holy baby Jesus, <laughs> we're not a family <laughs> show. We can say whatever words we want. Yeah. So, so what, what is that? How do you do that? Yeah. Okay, so take, take any moment in your life where you're either triggered or you're just, you've been triggering yourself with negative thought. And there's something that, you know, that you want to avoid. There's some feeling that you just can't go near. And so it happens so quickly in our usual day-to-day -day lives that we automatically just steer away from the unwanted experience, right? So I'm walking towards something, I don't like it, off I go. So we, we live our lives in a state of aversion, aversion, avoidance of the, the un, unpleasant. Right. And, and we never stop to consider the possibility that of what might happen if I were able to stay with aversion. What is it really? What is it going to look like? And so what I teach people is get out of your head and into your body, which basically means... I'm thinking this thought, I'm upset about this thing. And as I think that thought, it causes a sort of sensory experience inside my body that it's so unpleasant, so uncomfortable, so icky that, that I want to get the hell away from it as quickly as possible. And how do I do that? By just obeying whatever that aversive thought is, you know, don't go here, go somewhere else. You know, don't go talk to people if you're a salesperson, because it's very uncomfortable to do it. You know, don't don't um, utilize some of the strategies and tools that we already know are, are valuable in terms of influence, because maybe it'll bring up some sense of imposter syndrome or uh, uh, there's just something just feels wrong because I'm, it, I'm not in alignment with my sense of, of with my self image. 
You know, how could I be influential if I'm just the kid who used to get beat up when I was a kid? You know, how could I, how could those two things just suppose? So I'm, I'm in a state of, of uh, agitation because I'm told this is something that might be helpful, take this action, but it feels really uncomfortable. I think this is very interesting because, you know, I've often asked this question. There's been tens of millions of books written on how to get rich, mm-hmm. how to find a mate, mm-hmm. how to lose weight. And yet at the same time, we don't see millions of skinny rich people madly in love with their ideal partners so in that gap what is in there and you've just answered that question for me in a different way than i would answer it is that people can't tolerate what's uncomfortable and people always say get out of your comfort zone but no one ever tells you how to do it and now this is a you're handing us some diamonds because you're telling us how to get the hell out of your comfort zone which is accepting the discomfort but no one tells you how to do it so let's dive into how do you accept discomfort how do you do that uh, and i'm really glad you brought up that that languaging of it the idea of get out of your comfort zone because and i never thought of it until you just said this but when somebody says get out of your comfort i'm so sorry i didn't turn off my gmail and so every time you hear that ding it's only another sign that this is the most fascinating interview and the best show that you've ever engaged with so let's keep going i'm so I sorry they were, i thought they were just idea bubbles popping in your head <laughs> utilize everything as we say in hypnosis utilize everything. the response happens utilize it. go ahead dr steve oh, no, and i've got stories about that too we might want to double back to it at some point but all right yeah. we will so, we'll so the getting out of your comfort zone concept is in most people's minds it interpreted as meaning Go do something that's uncomfortable. Go do something beyond what you are comfortable doing. But as you said, nobody tells you how to do that, how to tolerate the discomfort in order to get out of your comfort zone. And so get out of your head and into your body means this. It means that for our entire lives, throughout our cultural upbringing, uh, we've been taught that uncomfortable feelings are meant to be avoided at all costs and that our brain is so powerful that we could think our way out of that thought, we think our way out of that feeling. And what we usually end up doing instead is thinking ourselves deeper into it because I'm trying to solve this problem. And it's, you know, every time I try to solve it, I ruminate about it and then I get more upset. It's like when you think about the fight you had with your girlfriend and it's like, and another thing, and I can't believe she said that, oh, I should have said this. And you know, you're just, you're just swimming in the morass of ickiness. And so, Think of it this way, your sensory experience, what you're actually feeling, if you were to ever stop just long enough to feel what it feels like inside of your body at the moment that you're churning that thought and churning and throwing another one on, is you'd feel the discomfort and you, and you would be able to even isolate it. You'd be able to you know, find the somatic relationships. It's like, oh, I feel tension in my chest. I feel pressure in my stomach. I feel heat in my face you'd feel something inside of you. And for most of us, if we were ever to stop and experience that, it would be so profoundly unusual and uncomfortable that we'd go right back up into our head and right back to trying to solve the problem and work our way out of it and think our way out of it, which again, doesn't work. So now you're always living in a constant state of slight discomfort and anxiety because you're trying to fight your way out of it. You're wrecking my day, Dr. Steve. <laughs> let's uh, yeah. so we'll anxiety. <laughs> yeah, okay. So now let's go into it instead. So let's say that all of the um, all of that inner experience, the physical 
side of an emotion. Emotion is thought and, and sensation kind of all mixed together. So let's say we just detach the thought for a moment. We say, you know, for the next five minutes, and I'm not suggesting you spend the next hour. I say three minutes, five minutes is often enough to just say, you know what, I'm going to put the thought process on hold. And as I feel this feeling inside of me, this discomfort inside of me, I'm going to play the role of a scientist. Gee, I wonder where I feel it. I wonder what, you know, what are the boundaries of it? I wonder what would happen if I were to simply sit here and just breathe into it and allow it to be. And because it's a practiced art, when you first start doing it, you'll do it for a minute and then your voice and your head is going to start pulling you back out again. And you've got to practice you know, shut up, I'm coming back in, I'm working on this. Think of it like a cycle. And the cycle is like this, your thought has induced a certain emotional state, which creates a sensation in your body. That sensation, because of years and years of practice and, and addiction to your own thinking, automatically triggers the same set of thoughts that created the feeling in the first place, which creates more of the same feeling, which creates more of the same thought. And now you're going round and round and round. So think of it like a bonfire. Every time you have another thought, you're throwing another log on the fire. Get us out of this. Okay, we got it. So pay attention to the feeling. What yeah. happens when we pay attention to the, fe the raw sensations in the body? Isn't that just going to make it feel worse? For a moment, for a moment. But there becomes a certain tolerance that we develop when we start embracing that part of our experience. You know, right. it's the things that we... The things that we are most afraid of are often the least significant things, but we've been so well endowed with the idea that we've got to stay away from it. Um, let me give you another metaphor, too. This is kind of explains it. In before a way you do, before you, I want to circle back to hypnosis. Yeah. Could you not, in that case, use a, a trance where people are open to suggestion and give them the suggestion that from now on in that situation, they're going to feel super comfortable because trance involves bypassing all the deep subconscious beliefs. Why not use hypnosis to just not regular where people are talking to themselves, but in a deep trance state where they're more malleable, why not use hypnosis to take those limiting beliefs and dissolve them that way? Why dive into the, I'm just asking the difference because one of the challenges with having so much talent and so much skill like you have and being trained in so many modalities mm -hmm. as a change artist as you are and that's what i think you're a change artist genius how do you decide wait a minute why don't i just use hypnosis and install a positive belief and get that person going going now 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 no reason because there, I think of it as approaching the problem from two different fronts and you know, you're just kind of crowding out the, the usual pattern. I'm very much in favor of what you just suggested. And I absolutely would recommend that uh, having a, an experience. And in fact, even the unhypnosis principle relies upon that idea. It relies upon the idea that we wanna change the state to be more receptive to a new set of thoughts. And the more receptive state often comes on the heels of having done something, even, some, even a ritual to let go of the thing that isn't working, right? I'm sitting here and this is a very, you know, a very NLP kind of an idea. It's a, you know, I'm sitting here and I'm feeling this discomfort and I'm having these, you know, this bad, bad pattern of thought. And, and, and what, I, what I do is I, um, I, I identify what's triggering the feeling, then I identify the feeling and then I imagine myself shrinking the feeling. The feeling is a very visceral thing. I could shrink it and I could throw it away. 
And the, the symbology of that, the symbolism of throwing it away is much more powerful than you would ever imagine. Right? It's just the, I'm taking this thing that's constantly been getting me, I'm throwing it away. And now I've got this clearing, this kind of openness inside of me. And now something along the lines of an affirmation, something of positive uh, statement coming from the hypnotist or from yourself might work got it. because you're not pushing it up against something that's very much in the way. So one of the things that influencers have to deal with, with salespeople, professionals in that field is learning from experience. This again, drives me crazy. You've been to seminars. I've joined you at seminars yeah. and we haven't quite shared the stages, but we've been on the stage, same stage. And we've heard this message, learn from every experience, learn from every experience, learn from it. But again, no one tells you how to do it. And without learning from experience, it tends to really take away your motivation because you can be super motivated. Yeah. I th do you agree with the statement that you can be super motivated and enthusiastic, but if you keep repeating mistakes, you're still going to be screwed to use a psychological technical term. So how would you use this to teach people how to learn from error? I'd start with a reframe and the reframe would be that, you know, we're, we're experimenting, we're playing with, we're playing with the edges of your, of your uh, limitations. We're going to take some actions. We're going to do a few cool things with you. You know, we're going to teach you how to be present to a feeling so that it doesn't take on a bigger import in your life. We're going to teach you how to, uh, metaphysically let it go. We're going to reprogram your thinking to some extent, but every time you come up against that, because as you said, you're enthusiastic, you're positive, and then you go running happily into a wall that you keep on running into, eventually the enthusiasm is dampened by having to keep hitting that same wall. So we're going to say, okay, we're playing with your consciousness now, and we're going to send you out toward that wall. And this time you're not going to be looking at it as uh, as a failure, if you hit the wall, this time you're going to be looking at it as, as feedback. Hmm. Did I get a little further? Was I able to stay conscious a little bit longer as I moved towards it? Was I able to move toward that wall with enthusiasm? And then as I got near it, I started to feel a little bit of the old stuff, but I learned from practice that I could stop for a moment, center, breathe, talk to myself a little bit in a positive way that's, you know, while in a state and then move forward towards it. But it's a lot less of a uh, um, controversial or, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not in, in, in conflict, Got less it. conflicted experience. Let's get into you personally, because this is all very nice as a hypothetical discussion. Yeah. But where in your own life have you used the tools that you teach and that we're sharing with our audience? Where have you used it to, how can I say this, to advance in your skills or learn from a, a very difficult experience? So everywhere. Um, I've, you know, I started out growing up in life very insecure and very much anxious and depressed and having lots of emotional baggage. And I was bullied as a kid. And I, you know, I never in my life, except in my fantasies, would have imagined myself standing on a stage in front of 8,000 people. Did you fantasize about it? Did you imagine it? Well, yeah, I, well, not as a speaker, but, you know, as a, you know, kind of uh, as like a member of the Rat Pack or something. Oh, I get it. A star. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, you know, so I, 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 I always had the performer persona, right? I always had that. Right. Image. Never, yeah, you are. 
know, thought I was, you know, going to actually go out and, you know, and break through all the walls to do that. And because of these tools I'm talking about, what I've been able to do is to incrementally improve my skill set and improve my talent or like express my talent because every single time I, it used to be, I'd have to remind myself, you know, something would happen. It would trigger me. I'd feel fear. I'd feel anger or whatever it was. And, and then I'd go into victim mode for a while. And then eventually I'd crawl out of it. Now it's like, it's instantaneous right now. What happens is the moment I feel discomfort, the moment I feel anxiety, I instantly recognize it as a trigger. I also recognize it as a tap on the shoulder. It's an opportunity. Okay, sit down really quick right now. Do a breathing exercise. Do a process. Do a visualization. Uh, examine the thought that produced it, and then go forward. And so I invite these things. I invite people to piss me off. I invite you know myself to be. That's challenged. great. That's <laughs> great. And if you add a little, uh, I'm just going to jump in here yeah. with my own two cents. I, I find if you add a sense of humor into that, yeah. if you add a sense of play into that state of being present, it yeah. it tends to make it easier. Now I'm thought about asking you this question because we know each other very, very, very well. We're friends. But I hesitated to ask it, but I'm going to ask it because people want to hear about your own personal pain, your own story. Maybe I should have asked it at the beginning, but I know you suffered a huge loss uh, with a companion. And I would like you to talk about that, what that was like for you and how you used your own tools and uh, uh, to handle that process. I know it's not directly related to sales. Losing a deal is nothing compared to losing the deep love of a companion. But I really want people to hear how these tools powerfully apply. Before we do that little history, the person who taught us both these tools is a guy by the name of Shenzhen, S-H-I-N-Z-E-N, Young. All of you watching or listening to this today really should check out Shenzhen. You would agree. He's the most, he certainly for me is the most brilliant human being I've ever met. Do yeah, you brilliant that and authentic to the core, right? He's not, it's not pretense and it's not just book learning, but he's really living it. And, you know, and a lot of the stuff we're talking about now in terms of like how to deal with pain, whether it's physical or emotional pain, uh, he writes about that beautifully. You know, overcoming pain is a, a great uh, process, a great tool for this. And it's very much like what we're talking about, dissolving, you know, all that stuff that we've got to be able to dissolve. And he's lived it and dissolved things and dissolved things and dissolved things. And he's clear and clean. And that's why he's such a great He person. is. He is. So I know, again, you entrepreneurs, salespeople listening to this, you have to overcome setbacks, particularly if you're in your own business, all sorts of things will happen to you. I've suffered from my own setbacks and losses and my own health conditions that I've had to overcome. So tell us about this experience. And if it's still uncomfortable um, for you, you can stop and we'll move on. We can go there. I actually, I I just, I still have moments where I just sit down and kind of replay experiences. My, uh, we're talking about my dog, Woody, who was absolutely- A good boy. My, an amazingly good boy and my I loved him. partner and we traveled all over the world together. And uh, because uh, Woody was, um, you know, was essentially a, a, an emotional support dog. He used to go with me uh, on airplanes and um, he'd be with me on stage and he'd be with me at, um, we'd been to Broadway plays and concerts and he's met celebrities and uh, he was a famous dog. Uh, and uh, he appears in my books and magazine articles, and a lot of people talk about Woody. And when he passed, 
Um, it was an amazing outpouring of love. And of course, uh, Paul was part of that uh, outpouring and it was amazing. But um, his, his death was, in my mind, premature. He was a relatively older dog, but his health was so good that there was no way to envision that he was gonna go. And then he had a series of seizures and lost his life within a few days. So it totally took the wind out of my sails. I, you know, just, um, I couldn't go anywhere where I wasn't reminded of him. You know, there was no place that wasn't, that didn't have his shadow, that didn't have his presence. And there was no person in my life who didn't also have Woody in their life as well. So a lot of people were grieving along with me. And, um, and I learned so many lessons from having had him, so many things about presence and about living in the moment. And, you know, and I even wrote a TED talk about that process of like learning through your dog. So when, when Woody passed, um, this is now a little over a year ago, uh, I, was, I was a mess and uh, there's still sadness, of course. I think the way that the practices that we're talking about have, have aided me through this whole process is that there's never been a time during all of this, no matter how painful it was, when there wasn't also the witness. The witness, the part of me that just compassionately watched myself suffer. You know, So I am not, or you are not, and we are not the suffering being. We are not our worst, worst example of who we are. You know, when we have an imposter syndrome, it's because we think that we are our role and we don't belong in that role. But the truth is you're not the role. You never were. You never will be. And no, neither is anybody else. There's something much deeper about who you are, much more profound and much more loving. And when you start cultivating the ability to sit in the place of just lovingly watching what's unfolding, it could still be brutally painful, but it could also be very sweet in certain ways. And so it gives you permission to grieve and it gives you permission to, you know, to express what's going on. And you're not like fighting with the experience you're having. And so that's what's been going on for, for quite some time. And then, you know, then I had to invite this guy into my life and, and figure out like how to. He's a kitty. Who is yeah. that? What's his name? Hey, that's Ernie. He's, He's a, and now this is a Rottweiler pit bull. Oh yeah, exactly. Mostly pit bull, a little bit of Rottweiler and some allergies. <laughs> Yeah. I want to, but wait, wait, I want to circle back to something. Yeah. So you use these tools for profound grief and it's, it, I don't want to minimalize it, but I'm just thinking the thought occurred to me. Wow. And you said you had compassion for yourself. The big part of it was being a compassionate witness. Do you think it's possible that entrepreneurs, salespeople, all the people for whom this podcast is meant and anyone who's interested in cutting the cutting edge of powers of mind and the rest of it do you think it's possible to hold compassion for the very people who are rejecting us and if that's possible do you think it would keep us more motivated to make that next call to go for the next deal do you think it's possible to do that and would it lead to a more motivated person based on what's really happening do you see 100 yeah, that's an absolutely accurate statement. The, the, the compassion for ourselves and for the people that, you know, uh, that may be rejecting us, whether they're rejecting our offer or they're rejecting us in general, they don't want to get our emails or whatever it is. The more we're able to, and you brought up a sense of humor, the more we're able to compassionately, lovingly, humorously just accept it all as like, that's just part of the tapestry of this experience. I needed 10 of you before I got one of you. 
You know, it's it's sounds like my dating life, only it's more like a (laughs) hundred. Yeah, I needed a hundred of you before I got one of you. Thank you for being one of the hundred, you know. So uh so I I think we could all practice laughing, we could all practice just being like there. You know, being a magician, which is part of what my repertoire. I, no, I didn't know that. See, I yeah. didn't know you're a magician too. Oh yeah, yeah. So we had so, my, uh, we've had previous on the show. We had my nephew Seth Grable, who's a Las Vegas magician. We talked about awesome. magic, awesome. but he said uh, he did a trick for us on camera. I said, "How did you do that?" He said, "Can you keep a secret?" I said, "Yes." He said, "So can I." <laughs> <laughs> and we, I saw we, that coming. Uh, you did see that coming. But well, yeah, magicians have some of the same jokes. But uh, the, but the thing is, and he, I'm sure he could speak to this too. There are times, despite your you know your, all the practice and everything, you're going to screw something up someday. Some trick is going to you know somebody's going to see something or you know they're going to figure it out or whatever. And if you don't have the right mental state, that's going to be humiliating and aggravating, and it's going to you know all that you're not going to feel compassion. You're not going to feel humor. You're going to feel like, fuck you. I can't believe, you know, there's going to be a lot of negative and what you cultivate through what we're talking about, these practices, whether it's mindfulness, it's hypnosis, it's, you know, it's a reframing, all these tools we're talking about is you start developing this recognition that I'm, I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to, you know, really believe yet that I am this thing. If I just keep doing it, eventually it'll feel more like I am this thing and I don't have to get it right. And if I screw it up, every single human being has screwed it up. Everybody could relate to it. If I screw up a trick and my reaction is, here I go again. I just like laugh. Then everybody else laughs. It's like, it takes all the, we we diffuse a situation by not taking it. So I would see that. I, and this is something I think is missing in so much of the positive motivation and go for it, go for it. It That sense of humor and that sense of perspective. Steve, I want to wrap this up by saying you've been an amazing guest and I'm so appreciative to have you in my life as someone who's not only a friend, but a teacher to me. If people uh, want to grab your book on hypnosis, I'm assuming that's on Amazon. It is on Amazon or right off my website, stevetaubman.com. And then you can find some of my other products as well. All right. One last thing I'd like to ask people or a couple conventional things. So if you could recommend three books that people ought to read other than on hypnosis, what would you recommend? Other than anything that I've written. Right? Yeah. So, okay. So um, for me, um, The Power of Now was one, it was a pivotal book. I, I think it's just a tremendous right. work. Um, and it's, you know, it's pretty well known at this point, but when it first started, it was, it, it you know, it grew in, in popularity over time, but it's a great book by Eckhart Tolle, uh, The Power of Now, super, super great book. Um, anything, anything whatsoever by Ram Dass. So Ram Dass wrote a number of books. Of course, his famous one was Be Here Now. So again, right. a treatise and mindfulness. But if you could pick up anything of his or watch any video of his, uh, he has a very lighthearted, playful, humor-based way of explaining um, who we really are and how we get stuck in the belief that we need to be something else. It's just beautiful. So I'd say anything that you could find that's by Ram Das, And uh, then um, read anything about influence by Paul Ross. <laughs> are you talking about uh, subtle words itself? Subtle words that sell. You had it. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Thank yeah. you for the plug. All right, Steve, enjoy yourself. You're in Vermont, are you not? Absolutely. The, the Green Hills of Vermont. Yeah. Wow, wow. All right. 
Thank you, Steve. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much. Bye, guys. The Influencer's Edge is brought to you by the Invisible Influence Series. If you're ready to massively increase your sales by leveraging the power of subconscious persuasion, then make sure you text the word COMPEL to 411-321. That's COMPEL to 411-321. And if you're outside of the United States, then use WhatsApp and text the word COMPEL to 1-909. 741-1321. Make sure you put in your best email address because that's how we'll deliver the goodies. Thank you for tuning in to the Influencer's Edge, where you get the latest breakthroughs, cutting-edge insights, tools, and techniques so you can leapfrog over the pack at sales, influence, and persuasion. Remember to visit our website at www.theinfluencersedge.com to enjoy even more great episodes like this one. We look forward to seeing you again on The Influencers Edge Show.